sky so bright, just like raindrops in the window pane. When your eyes are blue, something's wrong with you. Let me kiss the love light back again. Brown eyes, why are you blue? Brown eyes, what Hello, welcome back to the American Writers 100 Pages at a Time podcast. In this episode, we'll be finishing up our look at the writings of Sinclair Lewis, at least some of them. We looked at three writings by Sinclair Lewis. We looked at Aerosmith, Elmore Gantry, and Dodsworth. And Dodsworth is the final one, and, I, and I'm going to finish up my thoughts on Dodsworth this time. Uh, if I were to rank these, uh, I don't normally do rankings, but if I were to rank them, Aerosmith, one. Uh, Elmer Gantry 2 and Dodsworth 3. Dodsworth uh, had the least interest for me. It was a little bit too much of a of a melodrama about a, of a marriage breaking apart and a little bit too much about uh, elite culture in Europe to to pique me. I, I like American literature. I like the American landscape and I like the American situation. And this novel was set too much in Europe. Um, so actually thinking about my next series, kind of I, I got some a little bit of gloom in the back of my mind because I want to do Henry James, someone I've been meaning to get into. Um, but I know his work spent a lot of time in, in Europe too, but I'll, I'll wait and see. I've never really read much Henry James outside of Turn of the Screw. So I'm, I'm jumping in. I'm doing my due diligence and trying to read broadly in American writers. And, and sometimes it means I have to go to writers I'm not comfortable with or haven't looked at for a while the good news with henry james is we get lip we're, i can go back to librivox and you know it's been a while since i've been able to use librivox for this series because the nonfiction stuff i've been looking at and that's not really on there a lot of stuff wasn't public domain that uh, you know even all the way back to the series on women there was wasn't much public domain that i could rely on but um thankfully with henry james we got librivox to to save me and it's uh it's not really laziness i just like the audiobooks and i like listening reading while i'm walking taking long walks and all that so anyways uh let's think about these three books together for a while um maybe i'm delaying to get into the dodsworth again because it's it's not my favorite um but all three of these books do do i think do a good job of exposing and commenting on some of the banality and, and cr crudity of american culture in the early 20th century in the 20s uh, we get it from different angles. Aerosmith, we have a, a fairly likable character um, who is challenged by the reality of his profession being corrupted by by politics in particular, but also capitalism and business and all that. And being surrounded by people in a, in a profession who really do see their job as just a way to make money or to rise up politically. And then he has to navigate that while also doing his own research and finding you know, that that is corrupted by things like the war comes in, interrupting his his exploration of peer research. Finally, he finds himself in the actual point where he can do some good with his research. But then he's got the dilemma over how to be a good scientist versus how to be a good person, how to be a good doctor. All of these come together uh, in the climax of the novel. It's really, really well done. And I love that book so much. Uh, Elmore Gantry, I really loved as well. Maybe not as much, but Elmore Gantry has that wonderful investigation of like the growing culture wars in America. It's uh, set in this this heartland. It's set in a world turning towards fundamentalism and and kind of religiosity in response to the growing secularization of culture. 
at the very time we have the rise of like Darwin. I, I think the Scoped Monkey Trial, it's so much said, but it is such a great example of just this culture, growing culture class. But you also see it in things like the anti-immigrant movement of the time. I think it parallels interest, you know, with later 20th century anti-immigrant movements. And at the same time, we have we talk about this culture clash in America today. We talk about this flyover country or we talk about the two Americas or the red America, blue America, uh, the Trump country versus, you know, the coasts. You know, this this is not new in American history. And the Scopes Monkey Trial just kind of exposed it. Right. The, the reaction to the teaching of evolution, still things we struggle with. Right. So I think Elmer Gantry gets at that, not directly, but it gets at it in the context and the world he's in. And he does it, he gets at it through this character who is a hypocritical preacher. And I think it's a really uh, well done tale. Uh, Well-developed character, interesting character, dynamic, not entirely bad, just just human, just a fallen kind of person who's a bit self-centered or a lot self-centered, but he's not like an odious person 100%. I think there's a, he's just doing his, doing his uh, best to make it in the world in the way, in what he's good at. And he found that he's a good preacher. And that's so I, I'm more sympathetic to Elmer Gantry than I think a lot of readers maybe are. Um, you know, he's, he's girl crazy. I think that's the, it's not the worst thing he does, but that's probably the most conspicuous thing about him that that's problematic. But, you know, he, he takes advantage of people, you know, but who but but it's the context, right? It's the world you're in. Right. That's the thing. We're not we a lot of times you just can't be a good person or you could be a failure. Right. That's why most of us are failures, I guess, is because we're we're we can't be as evil as as, as you need to be to succeed. But. You know, why is it all our politicians and all our corporate leaders are horrible people? Well, because you have to be horrible to get to that stage in the first place. And most of us who don't get there just try to live our lives as good people. And, and as a result, we're, we're failures, right? We, we stay in the mailroom. Uh, Elmer Gantry doesn't. He moves his way up, but he has to trample over some people. Now, in Dodsworth, we've been talking about it for a couple episodes now, and I'll say a few more things about it, but we kind of... I think what was interesting about Aerosmith and Elmer Gantry was this building of the career. And that we just jump over in Dodsworth. We jump literally from like him as a young professional in the automobile industry to him. He marries and then we jump to him as, a, as an old man or a later middle-aged man, right? At the brink of retirement. We miss all like the exciting stuff. Like had he explored Dodsworth as he rose up in the automobile industry and dealing with those challenges and, and, you know, really digging into like the rise of American consumerism over these decades, that could have been a really interesting novel. We don't get it, of course. Maybe it could be criticized then for just doing the same thing, but with a different type of character. But maybe in that case, I would have been more interested in Dodsworth. Instead, we just get him going to um, Europe and we just kind of realize what a boring kind of banal person he is. Um, you know, you kind of pick up on that right away in the fact that he's like interested in the mechanics of the boat he's on rather than like the people and his wife, Fran is interested in the people. And that's of course going to be their clash throughout most of the novel is that she's, she's into people. He's into things. He, he, he's, he's got his guidebook. He checks the marks on the guidebook, sees what he has to see, um, 
accompany his wife as little as possible to maintain the marriage in some de- some degree. Immediately goes back home for a business meeting when he gets the chance. You know, he doesn't really embrace what his wife is after. His wife is saying, "We're rich. Let's just settle here in Europe. We don't have to go back to America. There's nothing there for us. There's no reason to go back to our jobs." You know, what did we work for our whole life? Um, now, neither of these characters really are fully human in a way. And maybe that's just like Sinclair Lewis's criticism of the middle class. Uh, Dodsworth, Sam Dodsworth is just kind of an empty technocratic um, person. He seems like he could a placeholder. You could put anyone into that position and you'd get signed the same character. Uh, Fran... Dodsworth, his wife, is someone who can only really live through the eyes of other people, which is why she's always in these romances, because every time a guy flirts with her, that's why she feels good about herself. So she feels good about herself because other people like her. She's She's got that personality defect where she kind of will only live through the gaze of others, how others see her. And that's how she kind of gets puffed up and built up. And you actually see it in the letter she writes, how, you know, how honest she is. That's one thing that's striking, I think is how honest she is about these romances and these affairs. She doesn't come out and say it directly. Um, I mean, eventually she's honest with him that she's basically planning to marry this guy in Germany. But the letters that start to freak Sam out, you know, are she's telling about all the men she's hanging out with. And he's like, why are you hanging out with all these men? And she's like, oh, don't worry. Don't, don't think about anything like that. I'm, you know. But it, it seems she has to talk about it because... That's how she can only see herself is through the, these gaze of these other men. Um, so anyways, what happens at the end of the novel? Well, they end up spending, uh, they end up, he returns from America after taking this side quest back to Zenith, back to New York for business stuff. He runs into the family, sees the kids again, and then he returns after getting these letters that basically he gets worried that she's, she's, with, she's sleeping with guys, I think. So he goes back to to Europe, meets her in Paris, and she she meets him there. And then they they tour around for a while as a couple, seeing the sights. And then they eventually settle in Germany. And in Germany, she basically picks up, has this affair with this German man and basically intends to divorce Sam and marry him. So that's that's kind of the, the beginning of the end of their marriage is this arrival in Berlin, even though it's been kind of fracturing for a while. Her restlessness has just been growing and growing during the trip. And it's weird that this restlessness, the end point of this restlessness seems to be a new husband, which strikes me as a bit counterproductive. Uh, It seems you're back into the same trap. But in those days, it's really, where else can it go? It's not like being a a single girl at that age is is very practical, right? She, She has talked about compared to at times this flapper which I, I, that's kind of a nice touch here where we actually do see the broader cultural debate about the flapper being um, talked about. And then we got Europeans trying to understand this kind of flapper culture through this woman. That's kind of a nice little, uh, we get a little bit of that here. But anyways, during this, he goes, Sam Dodsworth goes on his own tour of, of, of Europe on his own. So it kind of the roles reverse at this point in the story. For a long time, he was the more static one, and she was the one going around and wanted to travel around. But in Germany, she becomes the stat- she becomes a static one attached to the sky, and he becomes the wanderer. So, while he's kind of liberated by this, 
Um, but he feels kind of aimless. There's kind of an aimlessness to some of his travels. There's a couple of interesting passages where we see Sam Dodsworth kind of not, you get the sense he's just sort of kind of wandering around Europe because he's lost his, lost his wife, essentially. Um, now, finally, they do break up because she's going to marry this guy, Odersdorf or something named like that, some German guy. And she stays with him while he kind of, you know, walks around Europe or travels around Europe kind of moping. Um, now, he's met this woman before named Edith, and she is kind of the opposite of Fran. While Fran kind of always is reflected off others, Edith is a much more assertive and independent personality. And there's an attraction there and an interest in each other, and he runs into her. And eventually she's going to, he's going to marry her. That's the implication of the end of the novel. But there's a few hoops they have to go through first before that happens. It seems, she almost seems too good for Sam Dodworth. I, I guess I'm, I've never, I never was able to really gravitate towards this character in any meaningful way. So I just don't find him the most fascinating guy. But she ends up, uh, she likes him enough that they end up agreeing to meet. But first he has to deal with his wife. Uh, and her, his ex-wife anyways. And she, she finds out her marriage plans get disrupted because I think the man breaks up with her, Fran, and maybe sees her for who she really is in a way. But anyway, she, it's broken up. And so Sam has to kind of take her back to America. And so he travels with her back to America, but he almost immediately picks up again and returns to Europe. So that's kind of an interesting... Uh, irony at the end i guess it's like fran is the one who always wanted to be in europe and, and sam didn't really but sam ends up the one who seems to stay in europe because of this woman and she's the one who's always on the prowl for guys and and he wasn't he kind of basically was a loyal husband the whole time maybe not the best husband but you know loyal in a way she wasn't but you know he ends up the one with the girl right so it's there's there's a layer of like literary irony there that I think makes the novel somewhat appealing. I think there's there's some ple pleasure we get out of, out of the way kind of things end up for these characters. But that said, it's like, I think, for me, I think it's the wrong part of their life, right? I, I'm not really... I guess maybe after reading Aerosmith and Elmer Gantry and seeing how well Sinclair Lewis can write the story of, of one's early life and the problems and the ups and downs they go through and the people they look up to and the struggles they have with those people meeting their expectations or, or finding their delusion or their illusions of those people disrupted. Those are really dramatic stuff. And he writes that stuff really well, I think. Um, and then to get a novel where we basically jump to someone's later life, I just, it, I just didn't grab me as much. Right. But you know, I, I think there's something here for some, I think this book has an audience still, I think there's still reasons to go to it. Um, but it's not really my type. It's not really my cup of tea. Um, I, I prefer the other two novels. So I'm not going to say too much more about this. I'm just, I kind of wanted this this episode to to wrap up this whole series on Sinclair Lewis more than just wrap up Dodsworth. Uh, and yeah, um, I'm going to have to come back to Sinclair Lewis. There's another volume that the Library of America published. In fact, this is the second volume they published of his. The first volume they published early in their run, uh, which had Babbitt and Main Street. Um, which I haven't read either of those books. 
But then later, so this was published in 2002. I think it's, it's number 133 in the Library of America listing. So it's the 133rd book they published in their main series. Uh, number one being Herman Melville's Taipei, Omu and Marty, I, which was also the first book I did in this series. Um, I think they do about 12, 15 a year. I think it's actually gone up. They've, I haven't been buying them as, as much since I've been in Asia, but I think I need to take some of this money I've been making in China and maybe buy the complete set. I'm really um, tempted to do it. It's just a matter of the space, right? And, and getting the bookshelves and having the floor space and maybe packing up some other books and making room for all these, but they're just so beautiful and there's just so much in these to give like a lifetime of pleasure and i just might just bite the bullet and, and buy them all in one big chunk uh maybe play around with the used book markets next time in america too that's hard to do in asia can't do the used book stuff so anyways you don't care about this stuff i suppose uh my recommendation dodsworth eh, read it if you want but definitely i think we need to read aerosmith if you haven't especially in this time because it's it really deals with issues that we're dealing with now like the like the the relationship between medicine and politics and things like that. So anyways, that's going to be it for this series on Sinclair Lewis. Um, I'm so, sort of excited to get into Henry James. Maybe I'm, I'm a bit ambivalent about getting into Henry James, partially because I just read a novel that I didn't like that much about Europe. And I know Henry James writes a lot about Europe and becomes a British citizen, um, subject, British subject, I should say, by the end of his life. Um, but still, he's an American, so I'm laying claim to him, and he's just someone I need to read. I I had I only read one of his books, except Turn of the Screw and a few short stories, and that was Watching Ward, which is the first book I'll look at coming up, which is not a good novel. It's a bit weird, um, and from our modern sensibilities, it's a bit creepy. I'll talk about that in future episodes, but that's what's up next. And the next episode, we'll look at Watching Ward, which is Henry James's very first novel. In fact, it's a novel he disowned. Uh, he considers uh, Roderick Hudson his first real novel, but um, he can't hide from it. Watching Ward is up next. So read it if you have it. Um, if you're if you haven't heard of it before, you're not a Henry James fan but haven't read it yet, check it out. It's worth a few hours of your time. It's not that long and it's a bit wild. So anyways, that's what's coming up next. Uh, but let me know what you think about Sinclair Lewis. Um, you know, yeah, um, send me an email at hundred pagescast at gmail.com. I will be very glad to hear from you. So thanks for listening. See you next time as we jump in with two Henry James's earliest novels. That's when they begin disappearing like the April snow. Brown eyes, why are you blue? Brown eyes, what can I do? Don't keep the sunshine off of your eyes. Say if you are wise.